All right, so in our Bibles to the book of Romans, we'll be in Romans chapter number 1, Romans chapter number 1, and we look forward to seeing what the Bible has for us tonight, and I'll remind you again about Wednesday night, and I've enjoyed uh, these uh, little series that we've been in, and I look forward to seeing what else God has for us, and uh, I've been preaching from, this. Is, I think this is the third Sunday night in a row I've preached from Romans chapter number 1, uh, using this passage of Scripture to help us uh, see and identify and understand what is going on in the world around us. And uh, then I believe, uh, as, I, as I look at it, I believe one more Sunday night uh, I'll be in this uh, passage of Scripture, uh, unless the Lord changes that. But I know I've got one more message prepared uh, as we look at this subject. Romans chapter number 1, I'm going to read, as I've done the last couple of Sunday nights, starting with verse 16. <clears throat> and I'm going to give us context. I'm going to read all the way down. Uh, to the end of the chapter. And so Romans chapter number 1, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and of salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and the four-footed beast and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up in, unto vile affections, for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them." Uh, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, as we've read this same passage of Scripture, what are a very revealing and sobering passage of Scripture. Uh, as the Bible tells us, the condition of some men, the condition of the heart. Uh, and there's, we see in verse 16, we find that Paul, he's not ashamed of the gospel. There's two extremes here. Uh, there's what the gospel will do. And then there's what sin in an unbelieving heart will do. As we look at verse 32, it's, it, this, this verse is still, if you don't, if you don't look, consider the whole context of Scripture, this verse just seems like it's unbelievable. How could this happen? Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. What things? Those things that we just read in the pre pre preceding verses. Not only do the same, they know. But not only do them... They know the judgment of God, they do them anyway, and they take pleasure. That's hard for your mind, hard for my mind to understand. Sometimes we get confused, and the reason why I've been doing these on Sunday nights is because I don't want us to be confused, because Scripture it gives, it gives us the answers. We don't have to be confused. We look through a saved mind, we look through a submitted mind, we look through the submitted heart, and we don't understand that some people do not think like we do. We've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced the love of God. We've surrendered to the Word of God. 
Uh, and we make this mistake in this political debate that, that is on, on the TV every day. It's, on the, it's a headline every day. It's, 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 it's everywhere you go. There's a feed of this and this and this and this. And, and certainly, I, I don't, I'm not saying we should not be engaged in, in what goes on in our, our country. But once in a while, you've got to push all that back and let's see what the Bible says. And tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time and I'm going to make some bold statements before I pray. But the problem is not a certain political party. The problem is, is there's reprobates who make decisions for our nation. It's bad enough that lost people, because they don't know that they don't know the grace of God, they don't know the mind of God. And that's why we have a responsibility to greater responsibility to win the loss and to get into political theater. That's our, our responsibility. But I'll, I'll make a few bold statements. I'll pray. Then I've got five things I'm going to mention. The first four I'm going to run through really quick just to set the foundation for the fifth. And then I'll make four statements that lends to our responsibility with what we hear tonight to, to finish us out. But there are politicians who, according to Scripture, are reprobate. You see it in their political... I mean, you have to be to have no conscience about murdering an unborn child. That's not normal. That's not logical. That goes against nature. To even some who say it's okay and mock those who don't believe this, that even as the child is born, to end their life. That is not just a Democrat position. I don't look at it as Republican and Democrat. It is a reprobate position. And there is a lot of politically correct perversions that the justification, it, it comes from a reprobate mind. I'm going to find that tonight and show you how we get there. But there are politicians who, according to Scripture, are reprobate. So that's not so bold, Pastor. We agree with that. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's men who stand in the pulpit, and by, by the Bible, I'm going to tell you they're reprobate. They're reprobate. You say, Pastor, you, you have some, some district note. No, according to Scripture, they are reprobate. And what, what is going to help us tonight is be able to identify what the Bible identifies, because it does us no good to keep our head, heads in the sand or be deceived... By rhetoric, we have to understand what the Bible says, and we have to act accordingly. There are some who name the name of God, but according to Scripture, they're reprobate. And so tonight, I want to bring, it's going to seem more like a Bible study tonight, but I'm sure I'll get some preaching there, God's reaction to man's rejection. God's reaction to man's rejection. See, before I pray, let me just say this. It gets, it's frustrating for me, and I'm, and I'm certain that you could probably relate to this. It, 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 it aggravates me, to put it mildly, to see man shake his fist at God and say, we don't want him in our government. We don't want him in our classrooms. We don't want him in our society. And right now, if you share my frustration, sometimes you throw up your hand and say, why doesn't anybody do anything about that? But whether a man does anything about it or not, there's a God in heaven who has and will do something about it. So tonight we're going to look in Romans 1 and see God's reaction to man's rejection. Father, help us tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture. It's important for us to understand the world we live in. It's important for us to understand our, our surrender to you. And Father, may we do with what we see tonight as fact, may it help us to have a greater allegiance to you and to the gospel. Uh, may it make us more bold in our witness. Father, may it also help us to have more compassion to the lost of this world. Father, strengthen your church tonight, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter number 1, as I've already mentioned, we uh, see this list of vile living. 
And often we may ask the question, how can people live this way and do what they do? How can they, how can they not have uh, any remorse? How can they not have any regret? How can they not think of uh, what they are doing? And then the line of questioning often will go to something to the effect of how do we respond? How am I supposed to respond to that? Uh, the Bible tells us that we are to respond to situations in our life the way God would have us to respond. Not by emotion, uh, not by a, a knee-jerk reaction. So how do we respond? The explanation of the how to respond uh, will help us if we... It will be helped how to respond if we learn uh, what, why the people act the way they act. Men, those in religion, politicians... Even who 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 fulfill the, the title take the title of pastor preacher, they all can be reprobate. As I've mentioned in previous weeks, it is a serious thing to reject the truth of God. It's a very serious thing. The the seriousness of it is if a lost man rejects the truth of God, they are going to pay for that rejection for all of eternity by suffering and paying for their sins in hell. But for a saved man to reject the truth of God, while their soul is secure, we should be thankful for that, uh, there is consequences to the rejection of the truth of the Word of God. We must be reminded as we sat this morning and the Word of God was preached, and if the Spirit of God spoke to you about something, for you not to act on it is a serious thing. When I open my Bible every day and I begin reading through Scripture for the Holy Spirit to stop me and speak to me about something, for me not to stop and deal with that is a serious thing. Why? Because God is presenting His truth. Man is to stop before the Almighty God and allow God to speak and submit to the truth that God is presenting. But we're going to see tonight God's reaction to man's rejection. We know that from the beginning of time, beginning of man, man has rejected God. And I want to use some statements from the previous weeks that we've looked at this to kind of lay a foundation for what I want to cover tonight. As we've seen in the past, we see in verse number 20, there's a phrase at the end of verse number 20 that, so that they are without excuse. That leads me to the first statement I'm going to make tonight is this. Man is without excuse. There is no excuse for man rejecting God. We like to give excuses. We like to talk about how uh, things aren't fair. Maybe the, the truth wasn't presented in a certain way or we didn't like the truth. But according to Scripture, that which we put all of our hope in, that which is truth... We are told that man is without excuse. I'll not re-teach and re-preach all that we have looked at, but man's without excuse because God reveals himself to man. Man, no matter what period of time, no matter what, what part of the world, God reveals himself to man. And we know from Scripture in verse 16 reminds us of this, that salvation is available to all men. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus died for all men. I'm thankful that God would forgive all men if they put their faith and trust in Christ. So man is really without excuse. So, so really for a man to claim to be an atheist, it, there's no excuse for that. There will be no justification for that. According to the Bible, a man that stands before the white, great white throne of judgment one day, and, and there will be no excuses offered in that day, by the way, but if they were to offer an excuse and say, well, this is what this textbook's told me, and this is what this scientific study told me, they would be without excuse because God has revealed himself. That's statement number one. Man is without excuse. Statement number two is this. Man is given a free will. God allows man to choose. You and I have a free will. How many of you are saved tonight? Let me see your hand. You're saved because you chose to trust Christ as your Savior. 
You're not, if you're saved tonight, it was not because God forced you to get saved. <clears throat> he put you under conviction. He called you, and you had to decide whether or not you'd put your faith and trust in Christ. There will be nobody who goes to hell that God predetermined they were going to go there. Every man has a free will. And man decides what he does with it. If you're saved, it's because you chose salvation. Now with that in mind, man is without excuse. Man is given a free will. Man either chooses or rejects God. You can say man as an individual. You can say man as a society. Either chooses or accepts God. We, we see this as the scripture tells us in verses 17, 18, 19, and, and 20. There's without excuse. So nobody can say, according to the Scripture, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know I had to choose. Because man has a free will. He either chooses or rejects God. Uh, there are two types of people in our world today, those that have accepted God and those that have rejected Him. Man either chooses or rejects salvation. Aren't you thankful? Can you think, take your mind back to when you got saved? And you chose to get saved. And by the way, you don't get saved unless you choose Christ. You, well, it was an emotional, well, if you have to choose Him. It's a wonderful thing to be in a church service like we have here and to see somebody choose to get saved. But it's a tragic thing to know that somebody's under conviction and choose to reject salvation. Man either chooses or rejects to, to live the Word of God. We all, from what I could tell, raised our hand just a moment ago, saying that we have chosen Christ, we have salvation. So now it comes up to us that we're either going to choose to obey the Word of God, or we're going to choose to reject it. There is no middle ground. I have found in my years of ministry that there's a a lot of Baptists who believe in purgatory when it comes to obeying the Word of God or not obeying the Word of God. There's a middle place. There is not. We either obey or we disobey. God gave you a free will. This, this, this narrative that sometimes goes around, well, well I, didn't, I wasn't able to, to decide for myself, and I'm just glad to get to decide for myself. No, you're just glad, you, you have always been able to decide for yourself. You just now are being bold and admitting that you're rejecting the Word of God. Because man is given a free will. That's why, parents, you need to teach your children right and wrong. And that there are consequences for doing wrong. Because one day, your children are going to leave your house. And they are going to have the opportunity to choose right and wrong. And by the way, let me interject this. If they choose wrong, don't you dare let them put you on a guilt trip because of the way you reared them. Don't you dare let them put you on a guilt trip because you weren't perfect as a parent. They chose wrong. Because man is given a free will. I'd have to be honest with you. If I could make somebody obey, I'd make them. If I could force people, the most frustrating, heartbreaking things is for somebody to admit that they're lost on their way to hell, and you open the Word of God, and they know they need Christ, and they don't choose. If I could make them choose, I'd make them. I can't make them. As, as a preacher and as somebody who's lived 46 years, I can see down the road and what the consequences are going to lead to. And if I could stop some from making those decisions, I would do it, but I can't because God's given man a free will. Statement number three. When man rejects God, they choose a lie. In verse number 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie? So, man has a free will to choose whether or not they're going to accept the truth of God. And when they reject God, it's, it's, you're not living in a vacuum. 
You reject God because you're choosing something else. You, you don't reject right without choosing wrong. You don't reject truth without choosing a lie. You don't reject what is holy without choosing that which is unholy. So when man rejects God, they choose a lie. Verses 21 through 23 tell us that. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. Then we see, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. That says statement number three, When man rejects God, they choose a lie. An idol is a lie. Because there's one God. And we even see in our own nation, well, just whatever God... No, I'm glad we have freedom. I'm glad we have that. We, we, can, we have the freedom to even be wrong. We have freedom, but it doesn't change the fact that there is one God. An idol is a lie. Everything opposed to God is a lie. If it contradicts this book, it is a lie. It doesn't matter how trustworthy the person seems to be who tells it. If it's opposition to God, it is a lie. Evolution is a lie. It's a lie. Everything that fails to care for a man's soul is a lie. God created man. God loves man. God paid the redemption for man. It is what God is most concerned with, is man being reconciled to him. So every ideology, every belief that fails to care for a man's soul is a lie. That's why... Living your best life now is a lie. And the false message of salvation that these false prophets like Joel Osteen teach, it is a lie. Why? Because it is opposite of what God, it's not what God has said. The purpose-driven life and your salvation, your relationship with God is simply discovering your purpose. That is a lie. Because it is not the truth, what, where did that come about? It was man rejecting God's way of salvation and creating something that would make us feel good without having to face our sin, without us having to face the punishment for our sin. The Catholic Church is a lie. Why? Because it is not what God has said. I'm an equal opportunity offender tonight, so the Mormon church is a lie. The false religion of Islam is a lie. Anything that deals with work salvation is a lie. And I know it's politically incorrect tonight to say that a lie is a lie, but this is the, the Word of God is the truth. God is truth. And anything that does not deal with man's soul is a lie. A life not lived according to the Word of God is a lie. Hold on. This is a little more personal than when we were talking about false religion being a lie. But if you're not submitted to the will of God tonight as a Christian, you're living a lie. You realize tonight, if you as a Christian, you have no prayer life, that's living a lie. If you don't have a relationship with that book like you ought to have, that's living a lie. If you're not given to the work of God like you ought to be given, that's a lie. If you live one way on Sunday and you live a whole other way Monday through Friday, that's living a lie. You could be sitting in the service tonight of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and if there is something that God, you know God wants you to do and you have yet to submit yourself to it, it's a lie. Save number four. 
When man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. Now let me review very quickly. Man is without excuse. Man is given a free will. When man rejects God, they choose a lie. When man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. When I chose Christ, I submitted myself to God's plan of salvation. When I choose the truth of God's word, I am submitting myself to the results of living after God's word. Some of you, if I gave you time tonight, you'd give testimony of how your life changed, you got cleaned up, you, you got respectable, because you submitted yourself to the truth of God's word. And yes, you had to obey, and yes, you had to determine, but God's, there is a result, and that's what I want all our young people to be reminded, all of us to be reminded tonight, you submit to that book, and blessings will come. Happiness will come. Joy will come. Peace will come. Why? Because you've submitted to that. And whether you like it or not, God's going to bless you. Whether you like it or not, He's, and I don't know why you wouldn't like it, but He's going to change you. The same is also true that when you choose a lie, you submit yourself to that lie. And just as if an individual will submit themselves to the truth of God's word, there is a result of that. Life is going to show. Some of you, you've been at this thing a long time. You would testify tonight, I'm thankful that I just submitted to God. I just submitted to the word of God. And look what God has done. But there's some tonight that could give testimony that aren't here. They would say, my life is a result of me choosing a lie. Because when man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. Verse 24 says God gives him up to uncleanness. What's the result of choosing a lie? Uncleanness. In verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. What's the result of choosing a lie? Vile affections. So when you choose a lie, something that is contrary to God's truth, you submit yourself to that lie, meaning your life is going to be a product of that lie. Why do, why does man act the way he does? Because he has he is submitted himself, he's chosen a lie. Why do some Christians live the way they do? I don't understand why some Christians live the way they do. I'll explain it to you. It's right here in the Bible. They choose a lie thinking they are, they, they are not submitting themselves to the consequences of that lie. Some Christians will believe the lie of the devil and tell you you can live how you want. It's not the way that, that the preachers always preach it. It's not the way mom and dad taught it. And you can still, look at all that. You can still be happy. You can still have joy. And you can still find a way to serve God. And some will swallow that and they will choose a lie and then they're shocked when their life is submitted to that lie. But it's a fact. When man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. In our own nation, for, for several generations now, there's been lies being taught that God did not create them. That they evolved. We're seeing the consequences of that. Uh, what happens when you choose a lie? You're submitting yourself to that lie. Now, Review very quickly. Man is without excuse. Man is given a free will. When man rejects God, they choose a lie. When man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. Now, number five, this is where the, the, the rest of the message is. We find God's response to man. Now, so far, we have seen it's, it's, it, the ball is in man's court, so to speak. Uh, man is without excuse. God has given man a free will to make some decisions. God has revealed himself. Man rejects God that chooses a lie. When man chooses a lie, he is submitting himself to that lie. If you think back to, to toward the beginning of the message, even before I had the, op the, the prayer uh, for the message tonight, I, I, I talked about how we have people in our nation who shake their fist at God. And they say, we don't want you in our government. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our home. We don't want you in our society. And we get frustrated by that. But there is an almighty God who sees it. And eventually, God will respond to man. 
He is going to respond. Now, as we look at this truth that I want us to see tonight, I want us to bear in mind several things. I want us to, when we think of God's response to man, and by the way, in this context, in His answer to man's rebellion, it's not going to be a good response. But I want us to keep in mind God's ownership of man. God owns you and I. Even those who say, I don't believe in God, He still owns them. He created them. He's the God of all things. God can do with man whatever He wants to do. And as a child of God, you need to keep that in mind because you own twice. He created you and He purchased you with the blood of Christ. And so there's too much amongst Christians, and this is a little bit off subject, of looking to God and saying, I can't believe you let this happen. I can't believe you did this. He owns you and I. He can do with us what He will. But as we look at God's response to man, we have to keep in mind God's ownership of man. So much of, well, God's not fair. God owns you. God owns man. Bear in mind God's revelation of Himself to man. Don't ever say God doesn't love man. He didn't have to let us know about Himself. But God has revealed the almighty, holy, magnificent God thought to reveal Himself to dust. And He wants us to know Him. And He wants us to have a relationship with Him. And we've already seen in our text tonight that we have to keep in mind God's revelation of Himself to man. We also, when we think of God's response to man, we have to keep in mind God's love for man. Because when God responds to man's rejection... It is a response. Man really has no idea how much they can't survive it. We have to keep in mind that sometimes we look at the harshness of God and we don't balance that with God's love for man. You and I deserve just to be banished to hell. You and I deserve just to be cast in the outer darkness. But yet God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the Lord Jesus Christ, He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. He even paid for the sins of those that would reject Him. So we have to keep in mind God's love for man. But we also must bear in mind God's patience shown to man. I thank God for His patience. Aren't you glad God's more patient with us than we are with one another? Pastor, why can't they ever get it? I don't know. I really don't know. But I'm glad God's up there. Why can't they ever get it? I'm glad God's patient with us. And I, quite, quite frankly, there have been times in my life when I'd just be stubborn and hard-headed. And I'm thankful God was patient with me, but I don't understand it. Sometimes I look at those that even shake their fist at God and say, I want nothing to do with you. And I know how I feel about that, but yet we have a God who's loving and patient. You think of it in our own nation, not just a generation, but for generations now, we have ignored the blessings of God. We have trampled on the blessings of God. And literally shaking our fist at him as a nation and society and saying, we don't want your holiness, we want unholiness. We don't want your truth, we want error. We want to remove you from even our thinking. But yet, God is still patient. Let's keep that in mind as we look at the response to man. We also have to be reminded tonight, how does God work in my life? How does He work in your life? How does He work in the life of men? First of all, He reveals Himself through nature, the Word of God, and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Our text even reminds us that He reveals Himself to man, but also through the Word of God. I can remember from a child hearing the Word of God preached and taught and I learn about God, He revealing Himself. 
I would learn about him. When I trusted Christ, as you think back to when you trusted Christ, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that put me under conviction, and I don't even know if I was even aware of the Holy Spirit. But that's how God works in our life. He, he reveals Himself through nature, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. God speaks to me through Scripture. God's not giving you a vision to tell you what you should and should not do. And by the way, you praying about something doesn't give you a license to go outside of Scripture. Because God has not given you a private revelation. He's going to speak to you through the Word of God, and you are to conduct yourself by the Word of God. So He speaks to me through Scripture. How else does God work in my life? God convicts me through the Holy Spirit. You know, Christian, conviction is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. As we're going to see in a moment, when you're no longer convicted by the Holy Spirit, that's when you're in trouble. You know, and we use, as the, in some of these emerging churches, as I taught in the past, they use as a, as a hook, as an invitation. Oh, you need to come leave that church and come over here. Uh, I haven't felt uncomfortable in church in, in months. Well, if you can go months without ever being convicted, something's wrong. Something's not right. Because that is how God speaks to me. That is how God does a work in my life. That's why on Sunday we're not going to have... Well, and I know I'm going to step on some toes here, and, I, and, 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 and it, so, so be it. The, the Word of God's always going to be preached. Oh, it was so thick we didn't even get to the preaching. Thick with what? God speaks to me through the Scripture. So that's how God works to man. Aren't you glad that God still speaks to you? I look around the crowd tonight, what a respectable crowd we have in here. Our unrespectable members still aren't, still aren't back, so we, we, you know, we have some respectable crowd. We still have a respectable crowd in here. You know, we, 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 I'm saying that because they're not here. They can't say anything to me about it. But No, look around. Look at a respectable crowd. Okay, but let's, let's be honest. How many times has just this crowd failed God? You're not so respectable anymore, are you? Aren't you thankful that God still speaks to you? I don't want a God that doesn't tell me when I'm wrong. Because the result of me being wrong, there's a consequence to that. I, I don't want to be a part of something where there's no conviction. I don't want to read a book where I'm never convicted about, about my own faults and my own failures. Because isn't it our goal, our desire to be like Christ? The only way to do that is to be convicted by the Scripture, to be convicted by the Spirit of God. Now, I've given you some things to think about, keeping in mind God's ownership of man, His revelation, His love for man, how God works in our life. Now I want to show you what happens when man rejects God. God's love for man does not change. His ownership does not change. His, his patience, he's, he's more than patient with us. But eventually when man rejects God over and over and over, God is going to respond. We find in verse 24 and verse 26 the same words. In verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. What does that mean when God gives them up? As we have seen the, 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 the case against man and his rejection of God, now we come to a place where God is going to respond to man's rejection. Now, ultimately, for eternity, those who reject God, there's going to be an eternal, eternal price that is paid. 
But when man rejects God, God will get to the place when God will reject man, and what he will do, the Bible says, he, God gave them up. What does that mean? It means he withdraws his hand. You and I have no idea how much the providence of God has preserved us. You and I have no idea how the fact that sometimes you can't find your keys to get out of the house kept you from getting in an accident. Now, for some, that seems to be an everyday thing, God preserving you from an accident. But you have no idea what God... We have no, Sometimes God gives us a little bit of a view. We can look back on some events that took place in our life and say, I can see the hand of God. And praise God for that. But He's not showing you everything, I promise you that. We really have no idea how God uses the providence of God. So when God gives them up, what does he do? He says, I'm going to withdraw my hand. He's not going to use that providence anymore. Well, you people come by my house five times. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know if it's the providence of God that's giving you one more chance. I wish pastor to move on to another subject. Maybe it's the providence of God giving you one more opportunity to surrender. But it's his providence, he withdraws his hand, he withdraws his providence, he would the scripture. We're, we're, we're seeing the, the product of no scripture being taught in the lives of men for generations. He gives them up by removing the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I don't have time to go into all I'd like to go into in the work of the Holy Spirit tonight, but you would not be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. You would have never fallen under conviction without the work of the Holy Spirit. You would never be aware of your lost condition and the price of your sins. You, you felt uncomfortable in that church service, not because of the preacher, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You felt the heaviness that was on you when that soul winner or that parent or that, or that friend was opening the Scripture and reading you the Scripture of how you could be that heavy. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. When man is told that they must look to God for salvation and it makes them feel uncomfortable, it makes them feel unworthy, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine never being convicted by the Holy Spirit? All you have to do is study what is going to take place in this world after the rapture. When the Holy Spirit is removed, you know what is withholding the wickedness of man in this day we live in? It's the Holy Spirit. But see, when God gives them up, they say, well, I wish I could just go to church and, and, and not be convicted and not be bothered. You keep rejecting God and you'll get there. Because there's one thing worse than being convicted, and that's not convicted. Because the Bible tells us that we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit of God. And you and I need to be very aware of the importance of the Spirit of God in our life. What, what man says today, what society says today, when those Christians are the bother and those Christians are the problem, they're saying that they, they really they blame us, but really what it is... They're bothered by the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you can be amongst a group of people. Maybe it happens to you when the family gets together the holidays and you say nothing about God, but your mere presence bothers people. Why does it always got to be about church? I just walked in the door. Or do they scatter? When you're backing out of your driveway or getting home from church, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit of God that says, you should be in church. You should have got your family up today. You should have, you should have been where you're supposed to be. It's, not the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the love of God continues to bring that conviction. The patience of God when man would write somebody off, God says, no, no. I want them to 
choose my son. I want them to surrender to a life of submission to the word of God. And when man would write another man off, the patience of God, the spirit of God works in a heart and comes again and again. And eventually what man is going to have to do is submit to the work of the Holy Spirit or reject him quench him in their own life. So God withdraws his hand. The providence that he had used to bring them under the word of God, he no longer uses. Don't misinterpret the word of God in saying he turns them over, he forces them to do these things. Just the removal of his hand, the Bible says, to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart. Wasn't it Jeremiah that said, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? Now, any Christian can be guilty of one of the things mentioned in here. Any Christian can stumble. But this is a turning over, a removing of the conviction. If a man falls into sin, the Spirit of God will work in his life to bring him back to his heavenly Father. And man must submit to that because you can come to a place where God will say, all right, I'm going to withdraw my hand. That, that voice that continues, it's going to be no more. And he turned, gives them up to the uncleanness of their own actions, their own hearts. What is in their heart, he says, okay, I'm going to give you over to it. You know what keeps you and I from doing the vilest things? Exactly what I'm preaching tonight. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life. What He has done for us, the submission to Him. Verse 26 says that God gave them up in the vile affections. The restraint is removed. It's not freedom from the rules of my upbringing. It's a removal of the restraint. It's not, well, our society is just different. It's it's 2020. No, it's a removal of the restraint. Let me sum it up like this, and I'll have to make one more point, and then we'll close tonight. It's like a physician who is continually ignored by a patient. That physician gives the Medical advice, that physician says, "Let me. you better do this. That physician says, you better take this. That physician says, you do this. And then that patient just ignores, 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 and eventually that physician says, I'm not seeing you anymore. And by me not seeing you anymore, you are left to the consequences of your disease. I've been telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you, this is what you need to change. This is what you need to do. And over and over and over again, you just tell me, I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. I want to make another way. You know what? I'm not seeing you anymore. You are left with the consequences of your disease. That's kind of sobering to think about in that context, but think about an almighty righteous God. Who says, I've been doing the work. I've been doing the work. I've been doing the work. It's an amazing thing when this preacher bumps into people who've been out of church for a while. I don't look at it as a coincidence. I think that's the providence of God. Well, and then all of a sudden God says, okay, you're going to keep telling me, no, 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 no. All right. I'm going to leave you to the wickedness of your own heart. We continue in verse number 28. And even as... They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Why? Because when they think about God, they think about the fact that He owns them. When they think about God, when I think about, when I, I feel like I, you ever get this way where you start feeling pretty good about yourself? I do that, I have to be honest with you. I get full of pride when I walk through the, through the mall. I'm like, man, I got it all together. I'm a saint. I mean, I mean, I, I got it together. I, I thought I was doing, doing. I'm doing good. Y'all want to take a selfie with me? I mean, you need to. I mean, this it's. You ever start feeling good about yourself? All I have to do is start thinking about God, and I feel like a worm. 
Oh. So when I walk through the mall, I get right in my Bible to get bring me down the earth. So why do you bring that out? Because they didn't like to retain God because in their knowledge, because when they think about God, it reminds them of what they really are. Especially the young people listening to me tonight. No matter how happy they say they are, they're not. No matter how much, how much happiness they say they have, they don't have it. They say they have liberty and freedom, but they're in bondage that they, would, they don't even understand. But when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A very simple definition of that word reprobate is abandoned to sin. Lost to virtue or grace. Abandoned to error. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge, so God removes himself from their knowledge. He gives them over to a mind that's just abandoned to sin. I can say it like this, be careful what you ask for. As a society, we need to be careful what we ask for. We, won't, we, we, don't, we, don't, want, we don't want God as part of our society. Be careful. There, there have been nations that have been erased from the pages of history because they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. I said at the beginning, and I've got to quickly wrap this up because I could run a hundred rabbit trails here. There are politicians that are reprobate. There are preachers that are reprobate. We don't like to think in this term, but turn very quickly with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Do you remember this list we spent a whole year in? This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Bear in mind the list we read tonight in Romans chapter number 1 as we read the first several verses of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You remember, I use this as the foundation of the whole emerging church teaching. Now, these are things that aren't going to take place outside of the church, but they're going to take place in the so-called church. Verse 6, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm going to read verse 8 in a moment, but I'm going to say this. The emerging church is one of the big, biggest scourges and reasons for the downfall of our nation. You'll find a concentrated push in theology for abortion, same-sex marriage under the cover of emerging churches. It's a fact. It's under the guise of church, religion, God, Christianity. See, Pastor, that's a bold statement. I backed it up for your teaching, but I'm going to back it up again tonight because when you remove the Spirit of God, and you can claim to have church, you can claim to have the truth, but if the Spirit of God is not there, you don't have either. Verse number 8, now as Jonathan and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Remember, there's not an alternate truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Abandoned to sin. Lost to virtue or grace. Abandoned to error. You can have reverend by your name and be a reprobate. You can have a best-selling book in a Christian bookstore and be a reprobate. You can have campuses of your emerging church pop up all over town and be reprobate, abandoned to error. See, we, we've got we've to let the Bible identify what, 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 what is really is. And one of the reasons why we get sucked in and we, we get confused of, of what our focus should be is because we don't properly identify what is truth and error and where everybody falls into that. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Let's look at verse 15. Unto the pure, all things are pure. 
Titus just a page or two over. Under the, verse 15 of chapter 1, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Well, that's certainly a good description of our day. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. You see what's going on in our... How, how can somebody not have a conscience about taking the life of an unborn child? How can somebody not have a conscience about the wickedness and the vile nature of what goes on? How can someone not have a conscience about what Hollywood is not just producing on the screen, but what is coming out about how they are living? What's verse 16? Well, it says their conscience is defiled. Verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. I'm sorry, I just... Not that I pay that much attention to it, but every once in a while you, you hear one of these Hollywood actors want to give all their glory to God. Or you have these athletes who desecrate the day of God. They, they live a wicked life. They say, I just want to praise God. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Just because somebody puts a Christian label doesn't make a Christian. Being abominable. Look that word up. And disobedient unto every good work reprobate. The rejection of truth is a very serious thing. Because eventually God is going to respond. Well, they've been presented. They've been presented. The Spirit of God. I thank God for the patience of God. I thank God for His mercy. I thank God for His love, all of which we are so undeserving. But eventually, God is going to respond. So, Pastor, how, how, how does this apply to us? Certainly, we ought to be praying for our nation. Certainly, we ought to be doing... But here, here's very quickly, I'm just going to mention these, our response as, as, as those that are saved and surrendered. And tonight, make sure you fit in that category of saved and surrendered. We accept the truth is truth. By faith, we accept the truth is truth. We obey and follow the Word of God. The most important thing you can do for your, for your family and for your nation is to obey and follow the Word of God. Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There are too many Christians that grieve the Spirit of God by the way they live. They grieve the Spirit of God by their actions. They grieve the Spirit of God by their conduct and their manner. Don't quench the Spirit of God in your life. Stay sensitive to the Spirit of God. The moment the Spirit of God convicts you about something, you deal with it. The moment He impresses upon you, you deal with it. Stay sensitive to the Spirit of God. And then lastly, we need to stay focused on our mission. I, I taught on this recently, and, and it certainly applies in, in this context as well. Greater than removing all the reprobates out of government which I would be for, would be for the church to stay focused on its mission. Because as there were enough churches that would stand and preach the truth and stand for truth, these shallow, built on a foundation of sand, emergent type contemporary churches would dry up. If we really had the power of God, they exist because of a void that is left by the real power of God. And if we win enough people, and America looks to God, I, I kind of think we'll put the right people in office. The church has got to keep its mission, its mission. Let me break it down even further for us tonight. Those of you that still have children in your home, you rear them to the honor and glory of God. Don't rear them for your own joy. Don't rear them for your own dreams. You rear them for God. You pray, God, keep them clean, keep them pure. But God, use their life. We'd have moms and dads who continue to pray, call my son, call my daughter, use my children. Keep yourself available. Just because we've been in a global pandemic and just because we, we, we have people in our nation that have lost their mind, the church's mission has not changed. This pastor's vision has not gotten smaller. And the time is coming very, very soon when we're pressing forward. And we've got to keep 
our mission, our mission. When November rolls around, vote. Say, who do I vote for? Don't vote for somebody who you'd find them in Romans chapter number 1. Kind of narrows it down. But let's keep our mission our mission. Keep yourself right with God. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then as a church, as a people, it's the salt that can't lose its savor. It's the light that can't be extinguished. In many ways, and I could talk, I could talk to you about what I think, how Scripture applies in a broad sense to our nation. I think in many ways God's already responded. But God has also given a promise to His people. And God has always, He's always allowed for that remnant to make a difference. Hey, I want God to spare my nation for my own family. God help. I even, grandkids used to be something I talked about in a faraway term. And I'm still talking about it in a 10, 12 year term. But it's here. It's on my doorstep in a few years. But it's on my doorstep. <laughs> I want my kids to have a free nation. I want my grandkids to have a free nation. I want to see God's, I want to see people saved and turn to the things of God. But God is going to respond. But what can we do? Is America as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know. I see a lot of similarities. But I know how many God would have preserved Sodom and Gomorrah for. So can we not be the salt? Can we not be distracted by rhetoric, but stay true to the Word of God? Let's allow these things to help us. Father, I pray that...